Welcome to part one of a special two-part election 2020 thoughts on the market. I'm Andrew Sheets, chief cross-asset strategist for Morgan Stanley. And I'm Michael Zizas, head of public policy research and municipal strategy. Today, we'll be talking about the upcoming U.S. election and predictions of overall government outcomes and what this means for countries and markets. It's Thursday, October 22nd at 3 p.m. in London. And 10 a.m. in New York. So, Michael, as you've noted before in this podcast, you believe that the overall government election outcome is what will matter more for investors than any one candidate's success. Just to catch listeners up, walk us through what that thinking is. It really boils down to the difference between a presidential campaign's promises and what can actually get legislated. And that's a function of whether or not the party that takes control of the White House also has control of the House of Representatives and the Senate. And in short, the more control they have, the more of their campaign promises they can get done. I think in this particular election, the difference between, for example, the Democrats taking control of the White House but not the Senate, and the Democrats taking control of the White House and the Senate, is pretty substantial in terms of the fiscal policy outlook. We can't just focus on the presidential race. Another thing you've noted is that the first move that markets have in response to this year's election outcome might not be the lasting move. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's normal for investors to focus on the presidential race and sometimes conflate what has been promised by a candidate with what can actually be done. And those two things aren't the same and they can have very different impacts on the economy. So for example, in 2016, what investors told us through survey data was that a Trump election was something they were concerned would be very risk negative. And at the same time, if you looked at options markets, there wasn't really a pricing in of uh, a down move in the S&P 500 around election day. So you could have in theory intuited from that, that a tr surprise Trump win uh, on election night in 2016 would have led to a sell-off. And if you had intuited that and decided to become more cautious on the market or get short the market, you would have been right for only about two hours. And then of course the market took off from there. And that's because the plausible policy path of a Trump win in concert with Republicans taking control of the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives is a fiscally expansionary one, one led by taxes. So again, this speaks to the importance of understanding the plausible policy path as related to the total government outcome. And when you know that, then you have the ability to not overreact to the first market move and keep your eye on what's going to probably happen over the medium term. From a policy perspective, relative to what we've seen over the last four years under a Republican president and Republican Senate, what do you think are the most likely policy differences that you'd see under a Biden administration? And how much do those depend on, on also having control of the Senate and both chambers of Congress? The policy differences are substantial at the detail level, but the net impact on the economy directionally is more similar than you would think. If the Republicans take full control of the government, then the politics probably point to them enacting fiscal expansion, but driven mostly by tax cuts. And if the Democrats take full control, the politics probably point towards deficit expansion, but one that's driven by a combination of smaller tax cuts that are then outpaced by spending. But beneath the surface, the, the how you build up those two expansions are quite different. 
a Biden presidency probably builds up that expansion with more spending on health care and more spending on infrastructure, but alongside some increases. For example, we expected an increase in the corporate tax rate from 21 to 25 percent, and that could really drive some sector rotation within the equity market. Whereas a Trump administration that had the ability to execute on its entire agenda, again, would probably be mostly focused on extending existing tax provisions, maybe additional tax cuts. That's something where the impact is more unambiguous on the market. However, from a GDP perspective, what our economists would point out is that that impact might have a more diluted effect on growth relative to the Democratic win scenario because you're pushing money to lower marginal propensity to consume cohorts in the economy, i.e., companies and households that are already well capitalized, whereas that spending on infrastructure or healthcare that could come with the Democrats taking complete control would be pushing money towards lower and middle income cohorts generally with a higher marginal propensity to consume potentially a greater multiplier effect on the economy in the short term. So Andrew, given that there are really a lot of different policy paths that could emerge, the recent report that we completed together, talked about putting asset classes into a couple of different buckets, one called straightaways and one called detours, sort of extending this road rules theme for investors on how to track what's happening throughout election day. Can you talk a little bit about what those categories are and, and some of the asset classes that fit into them? One way we're kind of thinking about the election outcomes is there are certain asset classes where we think they're on something of a straightaway that that in these different election scenarios, they're very much kind of in line with our current existing longer run reflationary thesis. And then there are some some asset classes that we think the election outcome could cause a, a short-term detour. And, and I think a good example of this would be something like the S&P 500, where we think it's an asset class that over the next 12 months, over the next 24 months, will remain in a bull market, will remain well-supported. But if you say we're to get a, a blue sweep scenario and, and you saw interest rates go up quickly, if you saw some debate over shifts in corporate tax policy reemerge, then maybe in the near term, it, it takes a detour and see some, some underperformance. Great. So let's talk a little bit more on the sweep scenarios. What are you seeing in terms of asset class performance if the Democrats were to take the White House, pick up the Senate, and keep the House? I think that's the scenario that might involve the most shifts in market performance and, and patterns of performance uh, of any of the scenarios relative to what we've seen over the last couple of years, because I, I think that's the scenario where investors could most easily imagine a quite large, quite aggressive fiscal policy response. And in some ways, look back to the experience of 2009, where you saw a new Democratic administration control of the House and the Senate, a fiscal recovery package that supported ultimately a higher stock market and more reflationary trade themes. And, and if anything, you know, our expectation is that a Biden administration under a sweep would go for more aggressive fiscal policy than we saw in 2009. So, you know, I think it would mean global equities outperforming U.S. equities, small caps outperforming large caps, the U.S. dollar weakening, oil prices being a little bit lower on increased supply, and ultimately yields moving higher. And what about the alternative scenario where instead of the Democrats taking complete control, the Republicans reassert control over the White House, Senate, 
and the House of Representatives, much the way they did after the 2016 election. I think that's a scenario that, as you mentioned, would actually follow a 2016 playbook maybe quite closely. I think similar to 2016, the market would expect that the policy outcome would be deficit-funded tax cuts. You'd see, you'd see fiscal easing through uh, lower tax rates, Mike, as you mentioned, and that there wouldn't be an offset to that on the spending side. And then, you know, like the lead into 2016, and I think this is also important, the market is quite skeptical of an outcome where growth is stronger, yields move higher. And so, you know, one one reason I think, you know, of several reasons maybe why markets behaved the way they did after 2016 was investors were pretty cautious. They were pretty downbeat on growth. There was a pretty low bar to clear in terms of um, uh, growth expectations. And so that made it easier for the market to go up, but also made it easier from some of the more cyclical things in the market to lead that move higher. Well, thanks, Mike. Look forward to continuing this discussion. We'll pick this back up tomorrow. There's obviously a lot to talk about. Yeah, Andrew, I think there's plenty of twists and turns, very different policy paths and divided outcomes. So certainly more to talk about. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon with part two of our conversation on the U.S. election. If you enjoy Thoughts in the Market, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. It helps more people find the show. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or a solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you.